1: Good morning, it's great to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'm Tony Walliser, I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I get the privilege of sharing with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open in the New Testament to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and you can also do this, take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you, so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. Also, if you've got the Silverdale app, you can open that app and take notes right there in that app. As most of you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the different characteristics of God. We've been studying who God is. And this happens to be our final week in this series. And each week, it's just been amazing to see, biblically, who is our God. And we said that it's very important for you to understand who God is. Why? Because everything flows from your belief in God. The way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you act, all your relationships, they're all affected based on your view of who God is. And today, I got a great privilege to share with you that God is faithful. Today, we're going to talk about our God who is unwaverly, unchangingly faithful. Now, let me set this up by telling you a true but strange story that happened 29 years ago. This guy right here, he's a um, Russian cosmonaut, Sergi Krikalev. Back in 1991, he was on the Mir space station. And he was supposed to be there for a couple months doing, um, you know, experiments for the Soviet Union. But talk about bad timing. While he was up there in space, um, that happened to be the collapse of the Soviet Union. I mean, USSR collapsed. And so, Mission Control contacts him on the space station and says, Sergi, um, got some bad news. We're canceling your flight home because things are crazy down here. Just hang on there in the space station. Now, you think you had a bad day when your flight out of Atlanta was canceled? Can you imagine your <laughs> flight home to Earth being canceled? Well, that's what happened. They said, hold on. And so he did. Now, he was supposed to come home after two months in July of 1991. It was eight months after that, the end of March, 1992. Here's a picture of him. He had to be carried because he couldn't even walk anymore. He'd been in space for so long. And basically, the world he came to was totally different. I mean, his president that he left with is gone. The country he left, it's gone. The government's gone. The flag has been changed. The national anthem had been changed. He left the USSR, he went back to Russia. He left Leningrad and he came back to St. Petersburg. I mean it was crazy. They tore down, you know, statues of you know Brezhnev and, and other guys like that, and they replaced them with, check this out, with statues of George Washington. I mean, it was just a totally different world this guy came to. Everything changed. Well, folks, that's the world we live in. Everything's changing. Everything around you is changing. I mean, think about this. In a little over 15 years ago, you know what? There was no iPhone. There was no iPad. There was no iTunes. There was no Harry Potter movies or Avengers or Lord of the Rings. There was no American Idol or The Voice. There's no HDTV. There was no YouTube. There's no Facebook. There's no Google. There's no Twitter. How did we survive, right? That's just in the last couple of decades. Things change rapidly. Things are changing all the time. Things are changing every day. Every day. The number of your hairs on your head change. The number of wrinkles on your face change. The the ages of your kids or grandkids. Everything is changing in this world. We live in an ever-changing world. But there is one thing that absolutely does not change. It is God. God does not fa- change. In fact, look at how the Apostle James puts this in James chapter 1, verse 17. He says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, look at it, who does not change? Like s- shifting shadows. God doesn't change. Theologians call that that God is immutable. That just simply means God does not change. He's unchanging. Now, there are two absolute facts. Everything and every person around you changes. But here's the second fact. God does not change. And in fact, look at how the writer of Hebrews puts this. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, he says this. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. And so as we've been studying the characteristics of God, all those characteristics do not change about God. We studied about the holiness of God. The holiness of God absolutely doesn't change our culture can change but god says my holiness doesn't change god's power doesn't change he's absolutely all-powerful all the time he doesn't change god's love for you doesn't change god's sovereignty over you his kingship over you none of those things change about god god doesn't change now in the bible there are several different descriptions of god that help us understand god's unchanging nature god is called an anchor God has called a, you know, a rock, God has called a fortress. Why? Because in the storms of life, you need an anchor for your soul. In the battles of life, you need a fortress that you can run into and trust. And in those times whenever everything around you is like shifting sand, you need the solid rock of Jesus Christ to stand on. And all those emblems, all those images of God, they all are saying the same thing to you. And what is it? You can trust God. God is trustworthy. You can trust God. In fact, turn to the person next to you and remind them, you can trust God. You can trust God. Do that. You can trust God. Now, I know that some of you, when you said that, you didn't believe it. And do you know why? Because somewhere along the way, somebody made a promise to you that they did not fulfill. You trusted in somebody, and they proved themselves to be untrustworthy. And we look around, we go, Is there really anybody that I can trust? Right, you you look at the news and you go, is is this real or is this fake news? I mean, this guy trying to push a political agenda on me. You you go off to university and college and you listen to your professor and you go, is this some kind of social agenda? Is this guy telling me the whole truth here? And we always have to wonder. Or maybe, you know, in your own family, you go, okay, my spouse, they made promises to me, but you know what, (laughs) they've abandoned me. Parents, you know what, they're supposed to stick around, but my parent didn't stick around. Pastors that maybe you admired have fallen into sin. And you go, who in the world can I trust in this life? Nobody, except for one person, and that is Jesus Christ. God says, I am trustworthy. You can trust me. In fact, look at how God says this in Deuteronomy 7, 9. God says, know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. Who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty with for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments Do you hear what god's saying god's saying you can trust me i am faithful i am true i'm not like everybody else that breaks their promises i'm gonna come through you can trust me and so what the apostle paul does in the text that we're going to look at today he's going to bring up to timothy how you can trust god and let me set up, because we're going to just look at a few verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2 today that speak about the faithfulness of God. And let me set this up for you, because the Apostle Paul is writing um, to Timothy. This is the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. Paul has been arrested. He's being held for trial by the Emperor Nero. Nero hates Christians, and we know by history that just a few days after he wrote this letter, he, Paul was beheaded, Okay? And so these are Paul's final words, and he's saying to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, I get it. Your life has been turned upside down. Everything's changing around you, and you're wondering, can you really trust God? Because you know what? Suddenly the Christianity is under a great deal of persecution, and everybody is hiding, and even Timothy, who's, you know, the pastor of Ephesus, he's starting to back away and become timid, and Paul's saying, Timothy... Don't back away. Keep trusting. Keep pressing into God. Why? Because he's faithful. And so what Paul's going to do is Paul's going to say, I want to remind you of something, Timothy, that is trustworthy, that is faithful and true. And what Paul's going to do is Paul, in the next few verses, is going to remind Timothy of something that Timothy's heard before. Because if you look in your scriptures, the verses, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, they're sort of set a little to the side. And the reason why he goes, that's, it's like poetry. And so what Paul's going to do here is this is either a song that the early church sang that we're going to look at today, or it is a baptism confession. This is what early Christians would con- confess before they were baptized. And so Paul's saying, I want to remind you of these truths. These truths are faithful and true. And so let's look at it today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 11. Paul writes this. This saying is trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. What I'm going to say is true. What is it? If we died with him, we will also live with him. Paul saying, look, I may be executed, but I'm going to live with Jesus, right? Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Timothy, don't back away, persevere, you'll reign with Christ. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And then he ends with this crazy statement in verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God says, look, even when you're faithless, I'm still going to be faithful. Why? Because I'm God and that's my nature. I can't deny who I am. I am just a faithful God. Now, as I was thinking about that, God's faithful even when we're faithless? Yeah. I mean, my wife Susan and I, we've been married for 35 years and we have sought to be faithful to each other. But I wonder, okay, Susan's been faithful to me, but what if I was unfaithful to her? Would she continue to be faithful to me? Or what if, you know what, what if, um, you know what, she was unfaithful. Would I remain faithful to her? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I hope I'd be faithful, but I know evil dwells within my heart. I know that I can have a vengeful attitude. I know I don't always forgive like I should. I mean, would I be faithful even when someone was unfaithful to me? Well, God says, even when you're unfaithful to me, I'm still faithful to you. God says, I know other people have broken their promises to you, but I'm not like them. I'm God. I am faithful. I will be faithful. I can't stop being faithful. When I enter into a covenant with you, I will fulfill it. Why? Because that's who I am, God says. I can't change who I am. I am faithful. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to look at four statements, these four statements, and they all demonstrate an aspect of the faithfulness of God. And I want you to jot it down in your outline, okay? Number one, first way God's faithful is this. Jot this down. God is faithful to give life. God is faithful to give life. Look at verse 11. For if we died with him, we'll also live with him. Now, the apostle Paul is facing physical death. We know that he's gonna be executed in a few days. And Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, don't worry about me. If I die with Christ, I'm gonna live. I breathe my last breath. I start breathing the breath of heaven, Timothy, right? But what's interesting here is that Paul's just not talking about dying and then going to heaven. I mean, look again at the tense of that verb. It, in verse 11, for if we died with him, that's past tense. Died in the past, so you go, what is that? What is that all about? Well, that's what happened at the moment you became a follower of Jesus Christ. At the moment you said, I do to Jesus Christ, at the moment you repented of your sins and called on Jesus Christ, in that moment, you died, spiritually. You died spiritually, and Jesus Christ started living in you. you know, well, what does that look like? Well, Jesus told us what that moment looks like. It's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And that's what happened with me. Whenever sinner Tony repented of his sins and called on Jesus to be his Lord, in that moment, sinner Tony died. But the good news is that the saint Tony started living. God filled me with his Holy Spirit, and he starts changing me from the inside out. And it's the same way with you. If you've never repented, if you've never died to you and called on Christ, then you're not a Christian, okay? That's why whenever we, you know, baptize people, what do we do? We often, you know, we baptize by immersion here. Why do we do that? Because it signifies exactly what happens spiritually. In fact, we quote Romans chapter six. You have been buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. That's what happened to you spiritually. You died. At the moment you said, I do to Christ, you died. But the good news is that you also start to live. God starts changing you from the inside out. Now, this is repeated over and over again in the scriptures. Let me give you one of my favorite verses. Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Whenever you die to Christ in that moment, that's when you start to live. God fills you with his Holy Spirit and starts changing you from the inside out and starts giving you life even in times of death. Now, as a pastor, I've seen this hundreds of times where individuals go in through really difficult moments and yet they experience the life of Christ. I've been by the bedside of the dying or the graveside of the grieving or been in the counseling point appointment of the hurting. And I see these individuals that they're dying on the inside and yet they press into Christ and they call on Christ and suddenly he gives them life. He gives them joy in the journey and peace in the storm and hope in the trial. How? That's a promise. You die to you, Christ reigns and fills you with his spirit and gives you the life that you need. As most of you know, this month, February, is Black History Month. And one of my favorite quotes of um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was actually in his very last sermon. If you're familiar with his story, you know that he preached his last sermon in Memphis literally the night before he was assassinated. And what's crazy is in that sermon, he is almost prophetic. He tells of how he doesn't think he's going to be living very much longer. And yet, even though he doesn't think he's going to be living much longer, he still experiences the life of Christ. Listen to his final words of his final sermon. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the Promised Land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the Promised Land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried. That is powerful. I mean, what does he say? I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Why? He's about to be assassinated. Because when you die in Christ, you experience life. God promises life whenever you surrender your life to him. So Paul says, first thing that you can know, be trustworthy, is what? God is faithful to give you life. Second way that God's faithful is this, jot this down. God is faithful to reward endurance. God is faithful to reward endurance. Look at it, verse 12, next verse. If we endure, we will also reign with him. God rewards endurance. Whenever you go through struggles and trials in this life and you experience times of suffering and you persevere, God rewards that in fact, did you know that everything that you do in Christ, as you trust in Christ, there's an eternal reward on the other side for that? The Bible says you can give a cup of, of cold water in Jesus' name. There's an eternal reward for that. But what happens with most of us is that whenever our life gets tough, whenever our life's a little hard, what do we do? The natural tendency is not to persevere, it's to back away. It's to, you know, just quit. Why? Because so many of us as Christians, we think the Christian life is supposed to be something easy. Now, I don't know what happened where it started in the American church that somehow we started hearing and believing that, okay, you become a follower of Jesus, and everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be awesome. I mean, you've got all this success, and you've got all this victory, and they'll say stuff like that. You're going to be so happy. You're going to be healthy. I mean, the fact is, is you're a son and daughter of the king. You're going to reign, reign. Well, look, you are going to reign with Jesus one day, but this ain't heaven, this is not heaven yet. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, this is not heaven. This is not heaven, folks. Right? We live in a fallen, broken world, and we were surrounded by people who hate our King Jesus. And so you're going to have seasons of tribulation that you've got to walk through. The Apostle Paul put it like this to young Christians in Acts 14, 22. He said this, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So we're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through difficult times. And yet the tendency of many Christians is to stop, to back away and not persevere. And yet I believe one of the greatest characteristics of a true Christian is perseverance. They persevere to the end. The last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. And it starts off with these seven messages from Jesus to the church. And every one of these um, churches are going through a season of trial and testing and suffering. And Jesus encourages every one of them to persevere. And if they will persevere, he will reward them in heaven. Let me give you some examples. To the church of Ephesus, Jesus says this. To the one who conquers, that means perseveres, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the church of Smyrna, he says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. To the church of Thyatira, Jesus says this, the one who conquers, that means overcomes, that means perseveres, and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. Church of Laodicea, Jesus says, to the one who conquers, I'll give the right to sit on my throne just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Over and over again, Jesus is saying, when you go through a trial, church, persevere, press in. God will give you the life you need. And yet I see it all the time in the church. People start going through a rough time, rough spot, and what do they do? They bail. They don't persevere. They bail on God Right, I mean, having a rough spot in your marriage, I'm gonna bail on my marriage. Having a rough time with the kids, I'm gonna bail on my kids. I mean, you know what, work's a little struggle, I better go find me another job, bail, right? I mean, things aren't going the way you want at the church, okay, I'm gonna bail on church. I mean, that's the characteristic of our culture. When things get difficult, we bail. The Bible says, don't quit. God rewards perseverance. Notice how the Apostle Paul puts this, 1 Corinthians 15:58. He says, be steadfast immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God blesses perseverance. Now, as I was studying these verses, I mean, there's one issue that is epidemic in our culture today that I realized, you know what, I have to address. And that is the issue of suicide. It's the byproduct of our age. And I know it's a sensitive issue, and I know there's psychological reasons and physiological reasons why people may commit suicide, right? And, and suicide is not the unpardonable sin, I'm not here to say anything like that. But you know what, so many people in difficulties, they don't persevere anymore, they quit. I can remember whenever I was younger, I had suicidal thoughts. And um, you know, and, and, and I understand the reason why. I mean, the fact is, is that you know, whenever you're going through pain and you're going through a heartache, a difficult time, you just say, I just want to stop the pain. And so what do we do? We, we make a, you know, a permanent decision for a temporary problem. And, and we commit suicide. And yet God says, my children need to persevere. Let me ask you, do you know where suicidal thoughts come from? Jesus said this, Satan, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life to the full. Anytime that you have a suicidal thought, you know God is not putting that thought in your head. Satan is. Satan's the one who wants to take you out. And whenever you're struggling with life, yes, press into some friends, but ultimately press into Christ and say, Christ, I need you. And he promises, he's faithful, he'll give you life, and he'll give you the perseverance you need. God rewards perseverance. He's faithful to do that. But there's a third thing that we learn about God's faithfulness in this text. Jot this down. God is faithful also to bring judgment. God is faithful to bring judgment. Verse 12, if we deny him, he will also deny us. You go, what does that mean to deny him? That means you've rejected Jesus Christ. You said, I'm not gonna follow Christ. I'm gonna go my own way. I'm gonna do my own thing. I reject Jesus Christ. Now this is not a temporary denial. I mean, we know the apostle Peter, he denied even knowing Jesus three times. Remember that? But then immediately he was broken. He confessed his sins and God restored him and used him in incredible ways. So this is not some temporary denial. This is a permanent denial. This is a rejection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if you deny Christ, he's going to deny you. In fact, Jesus said a very similar thing in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Look at what God's word says. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father who's in heaven. But everyone who denies me before others, I'll also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. You see, many Christians, what do we do? We pick and choose from the Word of God. We read the Word of God and go, oh, this is a great promise. I'm gonna claim that promise. Oh, yeah, hallelujah, that's a good word. I'm gonna claim that. And yet, we don't seem to focus on the threats of God right? I mean, God says them both in his word, doesn't he? I mean, you know, just a couple months ago I had a lady contact me and she said, you know, I'm leaving the church and the reason why is because you preached on hell. And I was just taken back because I'm like, you know what? The same Bible that speaks on the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is the same Bible that speaks about the judgment when you reject Jesus Christ. It's both right there, right? And so what do we do? Why is it that we don't Think about that God is faithful to his threats and his punishment. Maybe it's because of the way we were raised, right? I mean, our parents, maybe they, they gave us threats that they never followed through on. You see this with parents all the time. You better stop doing that or else, and then else never happens, right? I mean, it's just a, it's just a you know, an empty threat. You better stop throwing that tantrum at the count of three. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, three, four, five, whatever it may be, right? And so what do we do? We're training our kids. We've raised generations that don't really believe there's any consequences. God says there's consequences. God's faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He's also faithful to his judgment. Now, maybe it's because, you know what? When we're reading the Bible, we only focus on the good passages. I mean, did you know that I did that today? I mean, when I read and quoted from Deuteronomy, I didn't do the other side, I just did the positive side. Look at it, look at it again. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse nine says this. Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. We go, oh, that is so beautiful. God is faithful for a thousand generations. God, give me a big hug, right? But what does the next verse say? Verse 10, but he directly pays back and destroys those who hate him. He will not hesitate to pay back directly the one who hates him. See, what do we do? We always focus on the positive, positive. we never focus on the reality that this is the same God who promises that there's going to be judgment whenever people reject him. I mean, you you think of, um, you know, Pharaoh. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. God says, if you don't, the plagues are coming on Egypt. Pharaoh hardened his heart to God. Eventually, the final plague, Moses comes back and says, look, Pharaoh, this is your last chance. God said, let my people go or the firstborn in all of Egypt will die. And we think, oh, surely God would not kill the firstborn in all of Egypt. He did. Why? Because when God makes a promise, he follows through. Folks, whenever God makes a promise in this book, you can take it to the bank, you can lean into it. You can rest on it. You can depend on it. God is true to his word. When he promises something, heaven and earth, the Bible says, will fall away, but God's word will stand. God is faithful to his word. So, Paul says, okay, God's faithful in these three ways, but then there's a fourth and final way that we see in this passage that God is faithful. Jot this down. Number four is this. God is faithful even when we're faithless. God is faithful even when we're faithless. Look again, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, we we didn't really expect this, right? I mean, this is completely different than the other three statements. All the others were cause and effect. If you do this, then God's gonna do that, right? If you die with Christ, you're gonna live, If if you persevere, you're going to reign. You're going to be rewarded. If you deny him, he's going to deny you. And then you almost expect him to do the same thing. If you're faithless, well, he's going to be faithless to you too. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says, no, God's going to remain faithful because he can't deny himself. Then you go, what does it mean to be faithless? Well, obviously, this is not talking about a rejection of Jesus Christ. Because we know that if you reject Jesus Christ and deny Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's judgment that's coming for you. But let's just say you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you go through a season where you know what? You have your doubts, you have your struggles, you you drift away from God for a season of time. God says, even whenever you're drifting, I'm still faithful to you. Even whenever you're doubting, I'm still faithful to you. Why? Because listen, God, whenever he enters into a covenant with you, he stays true to his side of the covenant. Now you may go well, but, but but this person's not faithful. God says, oh, "You know what? None of you are faithful. Every one of us at one time or another have broken our side of our covenant with God." And God says, "Even though there are seasons where you are faithless, I will still be faithful to you. I'm not breaking my promises." And you may go Pastor Tony I've experienced this. I've heard people say to me, Pastor Tony, I've walked through this season of rebellion. I've done these sins that I'm so guilty of. Are you telling me that God doesn't think differently of me when I went through that season? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to cover all of your sins and all of your waywardness, whatever it may be. Christ is sufficient. God says, even when you're faithless to your side of the bargain, I'm still faithful to mine. Now, God gives us an incredible example of this in the Old Testament with the prophecy of Hosea. If you're familiar, familiar with that story, you know that Hosea was this godly guy. He was a prophet in the Old Testament, he had incredible you know, status in, in the community in Judea. And um, then one day, God comes to him and says, I'm going to give you a wife. And he goes, Woohoo! And he says, okay, here it is. Um, I want you to marry this girl over here, her name is Gomer. And Hosea's like, "Uh, Gomer? She's a prostitute. In fact, God says she's not just a prostitute, she's a whore. Now that's strong words, isn't it? But see, she's not just selling her body because she is desperate for funds. No, she sleeps around because she likes sleeping around. And so God says, Hosea, I want you to marry her. And so Hosea does, and he marries Gomer. And you would think that, oh my goodness, Gomer would go, you know what, this man has brought me in to be his wife, and got me off the streets, and you know what, you know, he's such a good guy, and he's so faithful to me, I'm gonna be faithful to him. That's what you'd expect would happen. And she is for a short season. They have a child together, but then they have a second child, and Hosea realizes, this child's not mine. And they have a third child, and Hosea realizes this child's not mine. And then by chapter three of Hosea, Gomer leaves him, and goes off and just sleeping with other men in the community. And Hosea is broken hearted, he's overwhelmed, he's raising children that he knows isn't his children, and Gomer's gone, she's totally faithless. And so what happens next? Years later, God comes back to Hosea, and he says, Hosea, I want you to go to the slave market. And so Hosea goes to the slave market. And there on the slave block is his ex-wife, Gomer. And she's being sold for half the price of all the other women because her life is so worn out and messed up. And God says, I want you to buy her back. Can you imagine the moment when there was Gomer. And she hears this voice from the back of the room and she goes, that that voice sounds familiar. That's the voice of my ex-husband. That's the voice of the man that I slept around on. And then Hosea comes forward and he says, I don't care what the price is. I want her back. And God says, that is how much I love my children. That's how much I love you. You've been faithless. You have, you know, wandered around and you prostituted yourself with this world. And God says, I know you haven't been faithful to me, but I'm still faithful to you. Because of my son, Jesus Christ, I will be faithful to you, even when you're faithless. Folks, you've never experienced that kind of faithful love. And yet, that's exactly what God does for us. Some of you are here, and maybe you feel a lot like Gomer. Gomer. You're like, I have messed up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. God would never want me back. Can I tell you this? Maybe you've wandered away, but if you still got breath, God wants you back. God wants you back. In fact, I want you to press into a promise. It's found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 that says this if we confess our sins, he is what? He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You come back to Christ, he will forgive you and cleanse you completely. Do you know what's whiter than snow? A forgiven sinner, that's who's whiter than snow. That's the faithful promises of our God. There's one final promise that I wanna give you here today. I could give you hundreds, but I wanna end my message today by looking at the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, you have God's promise to his children of heaven. And we're going to read this, and you're going to go, this is too good to be true. And God says, no, this is my promise to those of you who have called on me. Look at it. It's found in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. God's word says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a voice from the throne say, look, behold, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and, and will be with his people and God himself will be with them and, they, and will be their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things are all passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, behold, I'm making everything new. You may go, how do I know that's gonna happen? Look at the next phrase. God says, write this down, because these words are what? Faithful and true. God's faithful and true, folks. I don't know what changes are going on in your life right now. I don't know the ways that maybe you've been faithless and drifted away, but I do know this, our God is faithful and true. And in the storms of your life, if you'll press into him, he will be that anchor for your soul. In the battles of your life, if you will turn to him, he will be that fortress that you can run into. And in the shifting sands of our culture today, he can be that solid rock that you can stand on. Why? Because he's faithful. Our God is faithful.
0: Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called the seven commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online.